Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly, as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, please pray with me. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Give us the words of life that our faith may increase and that our hearts be made whole. Amen. When quarantine started, what feels like a lifetime ago, it seems like there was this rapid sensation of people wanting to start new habits. Exercising every day, making sourdough bread, starting a vegetable garden, cleaning out cupboards and redecorating, just to name a few. And yet, after 21 weeks of quarantine, much to our dismay, like many New Year's resolutions, many of these habits we wanted to start either disappeared or never really got off the ground. To approach some of our habits as a staff, we've been reading together James Clear's popular book, Atomic Habits. In his book, James explains that the difficulty that we face when we're trying to change habits, whether that be breaking bad habits or trying to start new ones, it's actually linked to our identity. He says that true behavior change is identity change. That is to say, our behaviors are typically a reflection of our identity. What we do is dictated by who we believe ourselves to be, consciously or subconsciously. For, for example, they have found that people who identified as being a voter were more likely to vote than those who simply claimed voting was an action they wanted to perform. Or for one a little closer to home, take our beloved director of music ministries, Elise. Before quarantine, Elise identified herself as a non-baker. She claimed that the food she made was inedible, but nevertheless, Elise courageously signed up for our recent baking competition, The Great Knox Bake Off, thus officially identifying herself as a baker. Entering the competition as a baker week after week, Elise created beautiful and delicious baked goods. It seems that like we could say that her behavior changed because her belief about who she was changed. Once she called herself a baker, she baked. I believe that James Clear's theory in his book about habits actually goes far beyond baking or voting. I think it actually taps into something key about our Christian faith, something that is taught throughout the Bible and especially in Paul's letters. And that is this, our identity in Christ changes our behavior. In Paul's letter that we have been reading about to the church at Colossae, 
Paul repeatedly appeals to the Colossians' identity in Christ as a part of his appeal to their behavior change. In Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus our Lord, that is their identity, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's their behavior. Or then in 3 verse 12, he says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that is their identity, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's their behavior. For Paul, the Colossians' new identity as followers of Jesus Christ actually changes how they act. Their identity changes how they conduct themselves toward one another, as we've been learning. It changes their conduct in household relationships. And now in chapter 4, in his final instructions to the church, Paul urges the Colossians that their new identity in Christ changes how they conduct themselves toward outsiders. Paul begins this chapter by saying, Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Now, given the number of times in Paul's various letters to churches he references the need to pray, it's easy for us to pass over this verse. We get it, Paul. Christians need to pray and give thanks. But friends, instead of breezing past it, I really want us to stop for a second and think about this here. To devote oneself to something is to hold fast to, continue in, persevere in. Perhaps for you, the word devoted calls to mind songs like Olivia Newton-John's Hopelessly Devoted to You from Greece. There is this sense of being hopelessly devoted to prayer. That doesn't mean that we're expected to pray every single minute of every single day, but instead it means that we are committed to praying over all things. And then it is this devotion that fuels us, it emboldens us. It is our prayers for God to continue to move in us, to change us, to mold us in his image day after day that then enables us to conduct ourselves according to the will of God. As Dr. Marianne Mai Thompson asserts in her commentary on Colossians, prayer is not an addendum to the life of the believer. It is essential to the Christian life. It is essential. As followers of Jesus Christ, we become a praying people because we know we cannot do this life on our own. We cannot simply will ourselves into change. We cannot click our heels together three times and repeat, I am just like Jesus, I am just like Jesus, I am just like Jesus. As followers of Christ, we pray because we know that God changes us through prayer. Our devotion to prayer indicates our identity as a people ever reliant on our great God. Because what Paul is talking about in Colossians doesn't come naturally to us, to be gracious and wise toward outsiders, as I'm sure it did not toward, for the Colossians either. Those are not natural parts of our identity. But in our new identity in Christ through prayer, 
We receive the wisdom and grace of God as it infiltrates every part of our being. And so, after instructing the Colossians to be devoted to prayer, as followers of Christ, Paul enjoins the Colossians, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. In these verses, Paul turns to the Colossians' conduct toward outsiders, because followers of Christ were never supposed to enjoy their new life for its own sake. Jesus offered salvation, but he didn't stop there. Jesus then commissioned his followers with the Great Commission in Matthew 28 saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus' example, Paul calls the churches, including the church at Colossae, to not just enjoy their new life, but to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul's commission comes with a warning. Conduct yourselves wisely and let your speech always be gracious gracious just as our identity informs our behavior our behavior actually also serves as a witness to our identity so for me as an as an australian american whenever i do something that is not normal for americans to do people often assume it's because i'm australian and probably rightly so for example, you might see me make a snack called fairy bread, where you take a piece of white bread, spread butter on top, and then cover it with sprinkles. While it may not be a nutritious snack, my choice of snack clearly shows that I'm from Australia. My identity informs my behavior, and my behavior indicates to you my identity. In a similar way, as our identity in Christ informs how we act, our actions also witness to our identity in Christ. In the book of Hebrews 12, verse 14 to 15, it says, Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. You see, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ is not just about the content of the message we share. It is about how we conduct ourselves toward outsiders. It's about how our speech is, whether it's gracious or bitter toward outsiders. Because our lives are a proclamation of the loving wisdom and grace of God. And yet it's hard. Because in these days, grace seems to be in short supply. You just take one scroll through news articles and Facebooks and you'll find debates with Christians and non-Christians alike about the pandemic, about politics, and about whose lives matter. In those debates, you will find comments peppered with animosity, misunderstanding, and strange relationships. In the same Facebook post that advocates for social justice and our failure to love our neighbor, you can often find Christians arguing in the comments with one another, 
forgetting that while their neighbor is undoubtedly the impressed in society, their neighbor is also their Facebook friend that they disagree with. It is easy for us in a polarized society to slip into us versus them thinking. It's easy for us to vilify the other. We can become in these days so filled with frustration about other people's politics, beliefs, and actions that we are consumed with sharing the good news of how right we are. And we forget we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It is easy to forget that the world is watching how we conduct ourselves toward Christians and toward outsiders, and that our behavior witnesses to our identity in Christ. Friends, for us to conduct ourselves wisely toward others and to know how we ought to answer everyone comes from our, one of our core Christian beliefs, that everyone is made in the image of God. Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, says the supreme religious challenge is to see God's image in one who is not in our image. In her interview with Pastor Matt a few weeks ago, Dr. Thompson said that if all things are created in Christ, it means that every person we meet on the street, every person we talk to, is also created in and through the power of Christ. They belong to Christ before they even know it. Imagine if we treated our fellow Christians that way. Imagine if we treated outsiders that way. Think with me for a second. What if Christians treated outsiders or our enemies or our neighbors as if grace was on tap? As if we had an endless supply of grace to be poured out to enemy and to friend alike. Letting our speech be filled with grace so that we may know how we ought to answer everyone is to consider the other. It's to consider things from his or her point of view. It is to seek first to understand before we are understood. And friends, it is in this space that we may be surprised to see the image of God in the outsider. In a world that is rife with division, let us be a people who are devoted to prayer, a people who conduct ourselves wisely toward others, a people for whom grace is always on tap. Will you join with me now as I share a prayer based on Walter Brueggemann's prayer that he writes in Virus as a Summons to Faith? Let's pray. Our normal ways are reassuring to us. It is our normal way, God, to categorize people as rich and poor, to classify people as us and other, to prefer traditional male stereotypes, to distinguish heteros and the other. Our usual normal makes us safe, makes us happy, leaves us certain. Only now our normal ways are exposed as constructs of privilege that cover over the reality of our neighborly situation. 
In the midst of the virus, we notice that the others are very much with us and we are all vulnerable together. We sense the disruption, the loss, the deep dis-ease among us, and we want to return to our old normal, except that we cannot, except that you summon us to new futures made sober by the pandemic. You require us now to imagine, to risk, to be vulnerable as we watch the new normals emerge among us. The blind see, lepers cleansed, the poor have good news, students have debts canceled, the poor have health care, workers have a living wage, the atmosphere breathes fresh air. We want to return to the old normal that yield for some safety and happiness, but you dispatch us otherwise. Your new normal requires some adjustment by us and adjust we will. We will live and trust and share differently. God, all things new is a huge stretch for us, but we know it is your good gift to us. With wistfulness, we receive it, we embrace it, and we give thanks to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.